Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Passive House Podcast. I'm Zach Semke, Director of Passive House Accelerator, and we're happy to be sharing a series of bonus episodes recorded in Hamilton, Ontario at the Passive House Canada Conference 2023. These interviews were conducted by Mary James, our Director of Publications, and Michael Ingui, our founder. A big thank you to Euroline Windows for underwriting this special series. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Passive House Accelerator podcast. Jennifer Hogan from Predium Engineering. She's a project principal. Can you just tell us generally what you do at Predium? Yeah, so I'm currently the leader of our energy and carbon reduction team. Uh, so I run a small team of engineers and technologists who focus on projects that can help buildings to reduce their energy and carbon. So that includes everything from energy modeling to um, passive house and Enerfit design and certification, and even building enclosure commissioning, which we typically do for high-performance buildings. And what percentage of your work would you say is new construction versus retrofits? Um, that's interesting. I think right now we have a relatively even split, though as a company we tend to be more focused on the retrofit side. Um, in our energy and carbon reduction team, though, because we do a lot of energy modeling and because we have a number of staff who are Passive House certified, we also have a fair bit of um, new construction work that comes in for that group as well. And where are you based? So I'm based out of our Burlington office, but we do have offices sort of throughout Ontario. Um, so we have offices in Newmarket, Etobicoke, the one in Burlington where I work, um, and one in Breslau, which is like the Kitchener-Waterloo region. And then we also have small satellite offices in Windsor and in Ottawa. So we're pretty much set up to serve all of Ontario. We just spoke on deep energy retrofits here at the Passive House Canada Conference. And why was that the topic of your talk today? What's exciting to you about deep energy retrofits? So deep energy retrofits are really interesting because... I mean, there's so many of them that need to be done is one thing. <laughs> we have an awful lot of existing buildings, and I would say, by and large, they are poorly performing and underperforming at this point. Um, a lot of our building stock is really sort of reaching that almost like sweetheart era where it's been constructed long enough ago that a lot of the major systems are going to require renewal at this point anyways. So whether we're planning a deep energy retrofit or not, that makeup air unit, those windows, that cladding is starting to reach the end of its useful service life. And so we're finding this great synergy where we can talk to our clients about not just replacing sort of like for like to keep their asset running as it has been, but consider the investment to do a deep energy retrofit. And one of the things I always like to talk about is like avoiding that buyer's remorse because we're right in this interesting time where there isn't really any legislation requiring full retrofits to energy efficiency standards for existing buildings, but we think it's coming. So the last thing we want for our clients is for them to be sort of 10 years down the road, let's say, they've just replaced all their windows, which should be in the building for 30 years, and they're having that buyer's remorse where they wish 10 years ago they'd thought about where their building needs to be now so that they could have planned those projects accordingly. We don't necessarily have to do our deep energy retrofits all in one go, and not every client will be able to do that because they financially couldn't necessarily afford to do that. 
but taking that holistic approach and really thinking about the long term and setting out a plan for all of the components that will be coming up for that building in the next 10 years allows them to position their position themselves in a place where they're not going to have those regrets down the line. That's an excellent point, and uh, hopefully it's persuasive. Because, um, as you said, the legislation's not here yet, but it could be. I mean, look at New York City's Local Law 97, which is requiring energy performance from buildings. And Yeah, and I think if you look at the framework that the Canadian government has developed, and the, they've put out a few papers for comment by the industry, and sort of have made their position clear, it is coming. It's, it's not here yet, but it is coming. So the requirements for existing buildings to achieve some of these energy targets, and certainly the cost to those buildings if they don't, through things like carbon tax, um, it, it's on its way. And, you know, we have to start thinking about it and preparing for it now. It, it, we don't want to be reactive in this case because, again, you could then be looking at, well, I just replaced these windows 10 years ago, but if I don't do something with them now, maybe I'm paying twice as much in carbon tax as I should be, right? So it's an interesting kind of position that we're in right now where the teeth aren't quite there yet, but they're coming. So the people who are really forward thinking are recognizing that and starting to act accordingly. And um, your role, it sounds like, is a little bit of the retrofit concierge, if I could use that term, to help them plan have a long-term plan? Did I get that right? Yeah. So typically, um, we could provide an energy audit. Um, and what we like to do with those is take a holistic approach to them. So, I mean, obviously, there's ASHRAE Level 1, ASHRAE Level 2, ASHRAE Level 3. We can provide any of those. Um, but what we try to focus on when we do those is really that marrying of something that would be a traditional energy audit with a bit of a building condition assessment which is more of that like life cycle planning. So because our background as a company is really focused in the restoration of existing buildings, we sort of have all of that historical knowledge of how these systems get upgraded traditionally and the timing of when things have to get upgraded. And so we try to really layer that into our energy auditing to make a really practical plan for them. That's something they can actually... Imp- can you speak of a specific case that maybe you're in the midst of working on or that illustrates that kind of long-term plan strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So we have one client um, where, and and there's kind of like the good side and the bad side to this, right? Because this is one of those ones where they've, they've almost been burned a little bit. So we've helped them with previously some repairs and restoration work on their building, um, we helped them with a program to replace their windows. And a few years later, they got really serious about trying to hit sort of like near net zero or net zero. They started even um, looking into developing some new construction projects that were passive house. And so when we went back to this building with them and looked at it, you know, there was a bit of that buyer's remorse with the windows where we had presented an option to improve the glazing to a triple glaze system and the decision was made for financial reasons not to do that. Um, So that's one of those cases where I really, it really kind of hit that message home with me. And so sometimes it's learning the hard lesson that really pushes those clients to start doing that going forward. And now we find with this client, they're very proactive about starting with the end in mind. So thinking about what their long-term goal is for their portfolio and any decision that they make on a retrofit now has to basically be completed through that lens. 
So when we work with them doing their building condition assessments and updating some of their sort of reserve planning, though it's not a condominium, they have essentially a reserve plan. Um, it allows them to think about those pieces of the puzzle so that when they implement each one of them, at the end of the day, they're going to be happy with what they get. What building types are we talking about? We didn't really discuss that. Yeah, so we do a lot of different building types on the energy modeling side. Um, many of our clients who are looking at deep energy retrofits are residential, multi-unit residential buildings. Now, the actual owners of those buildings kind of varies. We do some work with condominiums, which can be a bit more challenging to really get them to um, think about that sort of like long-term goal because again, many of them are not necessarily going to be living there for 40 or 50 years, but it's their duty as sort of the stewards of that building at the given time to sort of consider some of these things. Um, we have more of the sort of rental building owners as well who are really starting to become more proactive about how they plan for their retrofits. And then we also do work with the social housing sector. Um, and again, those buildings are typically high-rise multi-residential and in some cases even as small as like townhouse developments and blocks. And they're generally owned by the same owner for a long term, so... That's right. And I would call them more of the early adopters. Like it hasn't really taken a lot of effort or selling on our part with that particular group. Um, they're invested in their properties and they see the long-term benefits, not even just... Um, like from their own perspective, but the benefits that building a better building has for their occupants. And so they've been on board for some time now. Um, it's really in the other sectors where we're starting to see more progressive thinking, um, which is really exciting. Um, the other side of some of what we do is on municipal buildings, um, government buildings, infrastructure, that sort of stuff. So um, again, those are somewhat more forward thinking. Many of the municipalities have actually come out and started mandating at least passive house level feasibility studies when they're looking at um, their projects, which is really encouraging to see. Yeah, that's great. In your presentation today, you really presented a soup to nuts solution. Can you just talk about the advantages that you see in that whole approach? It included the cons on-site construction, facilitating, and yeah. pre-testing. And in particular, I'm interested in the pre-testing because I could imagine that building owners might balk at that a little bit. Yeah, and so it's really interesting. Pre-testing is a tricky one, and it's one that even we have a hard time oftentimes getting owners to commit to. Um, but one thing that we find through our modeling is, and what, what I spoke about this morning really, is that we have that performance gap where our modeling may not actually match our end results perfectly. And, and I don't think we're ever going to get rid of that because an energy model is a tool, right? It's simulating reality. It's not reality. But the more we can do to make sure that what we're entering into that modeling is accurate, the better. When we're talking about existing buildings, you're making assumptions about what you're going to construct and you somewhat have control over those because then when you go to construction, you make sure that they're constructing it the way you modeled it. And if they're not, you adjust your modeling accordingly. When we're dealing with retrofits of existing buildings, we're typically trying to compare not to a theoretical baseline based on a building code, but we're comparing to the baseline, which is the performance of the actual building itself. When we have to model the building itself, we often have to make a slew of assumptions. And by doing a, some pre-testing, and, and again, the level of pre-testing for each building would, would depend on what the building is, how much information you have, 
if they've done recent retrofits and you already know exactly what's in the walls because you've ripped them apart, it can kind of limit some of what you have to do. But by taking away assumptions about the thermal performance of the building, and in particular things like air leakage, you really can develop a baseline model that's better attuned to the building. And therefore, when you implement things like your energy conservation measures into that modeling, presumably they are more accurate as well. Because you're not or just sort of... the impact of them would is be more accurate. accurate. Exactly, yeah. Because you're not just kind of starting from a somewhat arbitrary goalpost. Um, and again, we, like we always check our, our modeling compared to actual consumption, but there's so many little things you can tweak in a model to get it to match consumption that it may not actually be representative of how the building is working, which is where you can start to see those variations. Um, so integrating interesting technology into a project, um, similar to some of the things that we presented this morning, where we can now do scans of a building and get a better accurate representation of, you know, how much energy loss is happening through the envelope, where it's happening, what the actual performance of those in-situ elements is. And just to um, help the listener understand, you're doing that because you're using drone? Yeah, yeah. So so one of the partners in our group um, is KeyTech, and they provide a drone service where they can do a full scan of, of the building enclosure. Um, and What's really interesting about it, too, though, is that it serves a lot of purposes, right? So while from my perspective, I look at it and go, oh, this is amazing. This gives me some great data for my energy modeling that I can input into my models and have a better sense of certainty about what the existing building performance is. There's other aspects of it, like having um, the LIDAR scan and having available quantities and measurements when we're dealing with existing buildings where not everything is the same. Sometimes every window is a slightly different size. So there's advantages to it on that side as well when you're talking about construction cost certainty and planning from a contractor's side to actually execute that work. So anywhere where we can kind of get like multiple benefits like that out of a test or a system, I think it's really beneficial. Another um key technique in the retrofit process that was discussed this morning was a unitized wall panel system that can be applied to the exterior, getting us closer to the idealized energy sprung type of retrofit. Can you just discuss that a little bit? Yeah. So again, unitized construction is is a really interesting um, prospect. And in particular, when it's coupled with the access sort of solution that was presented this morning as well, which is umbrella, where you're essentially mobilizing the entire floor the, around the full perimeter of the building at once. The unitized construction has a whole bunch of benefits to it. One is the speed, um, which with existing retrofit, like with retrofitting existing buildings tends to be a fairly critical sticking point for us. Um, you're in people's homes, you're in their space. Whether you're working from the exterior or not, you're kind of encroaching on, on their turf, right? And the more efficiently we can deliver a high-performing project, the better for everyone involved. So when you look at doing some sort of a unitized wall construction, essentially that allows you to take away some of the guesswork about the detailing and the performance because it's all being built in a controlled environment that likely is not susceptible to weather because you're building it in a factory in a warehouse. And then coupled with the umbrella system, when you bring it to site, it gets hoisted right up into that enclosure. They can run it along a monorail to the, its position on the building where it belongs. So it's really quickly hoisted and moved into position. And then you're able to do all of your tie-ins again in a somewhat protected and enclosed environment where you could be working 
during the winter, you could be working in the summer. If it's raining, it's not a problem. So you start to eliminate some of the challenges that we have with material sensitivities and things like that. Um, so it allows you to achieve those really high performing details potentially with a much faster schedule. Well, it was certainly um, exciting to be presented with such a comprehensive retrofit approach. Let's talk financing because I know this isn't really your area of expertise, but you must bump into this with your clients. Um, is there, does Ontario have any help in financing these types of projects? So there, there is some. Um, there are opportunities available for, and it depends what you mean by finance. So there are a number of opportunities out there where you can secure loans, essentially, that you would have to repay. Um, but they're often typically fairly low interest loans. They have really good um, terms and conditions and stuff like that. And they're all tied to things like energy performance. There's also a number of different retrofit grants that are available out there as well, oftentimes where you'll actually then receive money towards the project. For example, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation has a number of different programs that are in place right now. And, you know, typically those require both a sustainability component, so a level of energy savings, as well as an accessibility component. So making sure that you're providing enough accessible spaces within the building. What's been interesting recently is many of them used to have sort of almost like a single goal mark. Like if you achieve 25% energy savings, you're eligible to apply for this program. Most of the programs now have moved to more of like a sliding scale, right? So there's a minimum amount that you have to achieve to unlock some potential savings um, or funding options. But the higher savings you go, the more potential opportunities you can unlock from that. So um, that's been really interesting to see that. And it makes it very advantageous for people who are interested in Enterfit and Passive House because obviously we tend to hit the top tier of those programs relatively easily in terms of the percentage of energy that we're saving. That's great because in the absence of regulations, it's nothing like incentives to get these projects moving. That's right. And it's actually a part of the program that or the... I guess we'll call it roadmap that the Canadian government has rolled out as well, is developing additional programs all around incentivizing and helping to fund some of these projects. So what those are going to look like in the next five to 10 years, I'm really interested to see. Um, but it's all part of the plan to try to help get us there. And that leads right into my next question, which is, what do you see as kind of the exciting developments in the next short term, one to two years with your work? Yeah, so I'm interested to actually see a lot more projects starting in the construction phase, like really starting to hit the ground. I think the last year or so, and again, it kind of varies by client and client type, but we've really been a deep in a deep sort of planning phase where a lot of people are starting to talk about this, they're doing their audits, they're starting to think about what they're going to do. I'm excited to see in the next year or two, people really start to do that. And we're going to start to see a lot more actual projects, not just starting, but completing over the next couple of years. That's great. And I'm looking forward to seeing that also. Yeah. I mean, we all talk about it, right? Like everyone here is talking about it this entire, well, day and a half so far, the next day and a half. We're all talking about it. We all think it needs to happen. We've all been wanting to see it happen. But I think we're starting to reach that tipping point where we've moved beyond, even on a government perspective, beyond this being something that's political. I think no matter who's in power, who's in office, 
this agenda has to continue to move forward and it will. There'll be differences of approach, but I think we've kind of reached that tipping point where we're hopefully going to start to develop that momentum that there's no turning back from doing this kind of work as the status quo.